right, so thanks so much for everyone tuning in. Um, now I'm getting some feedback here. I hope that's not me. Um, anyway, I hope, uh, just uh, thank you to everyone who's going to tune in, going to watch the show, and thank you to my uh, guest here, Leonard Cello Webb. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me. I'm excited to talk about this subject. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's let's get into it. Let's dive into it. Uh, first, just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Then. Yep. I uh, grew up in New York and I went to college and University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida. Um, from there, I got a job right out of college as a police officer. I didn't like it. So I got into corrections. <laughs> yes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't like police officers, so you went to be a corrections officer? <laughs> that, I, that's a first for me, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it was, well, when I got into corrections, I didn't spend long as a correction officer. I got into what I really wanted to do was counseling. Um, my heart was set on being a role model as far as a law, black law enforcement officer. And police work was the first thing I thought of. But... I, I didn't see the impact I was going to make there. So I became disgruntled at what I seen. And so I got into corrections where uh, I knew my degree would have some impact and I can get into counseling what I wanted to do fairly quickly. And I did. And from there, I, count, I started in 1990 and I retired in 2017. Um, I had some success with 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 programs with a variety of of different type of men who were incarcerated from short timers to lifers um i started a program around 2000 for young offenders who had long sentences and that was effective they wanted to change that into what was a drug program and so i started doing that where guys who are about to release who had issues with addiction uh, would go through this program and could receive up to a year off their sentence if they completed the program and i had some success there uh and, and that that was my professional life until i retired unexpectedly in 2017. okay so um wait, what's your degree i had a dual major criminology and sociology very good. And so, uh, so you did that for the Department of Corrections. You were you were a correctional counselor, or or yeah, Department of Justice. I mean, it was a federal prison system. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, do you think that you made an impact there, as far as as far as the the, the work that you were doing? The, the, the counseling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I um, I'm very proud of the work I did there. There are, there are a lot of things that I may have done differently, but I'm very proud of the guys that I work with who some I, I still stay in contact with after i retired they've reached out to me and uh maintained relationships and it's kind of good to know that they're not they haven't recidivated you know went back to prison which was my objective in the first place of getting into the prison system was keeping men from coming back to prison very good so you got to tell us what what you didn't like about being a police officer and then joining and then joining the federal i mean what what was the big difference that you saw as far as that well police work just wasn't as involved with people as i wanted it to be 
I, I wanted a different level of relationships to help people have a vision of what their life could be. I, I thought being a police officer, I could be that role model that would uh, turn the tide of how communities of color felt about police. And I thought I was going to be that person. And I quickly became disenchanted with what I was experiencing as far as that goes. And I had my own encounters of with police growing up. And that was probably the reason I had that kind of ideal way to be. And it, it just, I just couldn't visualize it. And I, I was young, I was 21 years old um, when I started and I was very idealistic. And when that didn't measure up to what my vision was, what, what I, the impact I could make, I couldn't see it down the road. Now what, and, and I think that that's really, really interesting that you couldn't um, see it down the road. Um, what was the, was your department extremely busy as far as not having the time to put into being a community, uh, more community based? I mean, a lot of times different departments will have community officers. Uh, was there any of that going on in the department? There was, but, and I, I love law enforcement work, but there's, there's a, a culture in law enforcement that dominates the, the job. And at a young age, I wasn't prepared for that culture. I thought everybody was <clears throat> wanted what I wanted. And some people were there for a paycheck. Some people were there uh, because they liked authority. I just didn't see as many people there like me that wanted to help people. I know that a lot of people were there to help people, but on a level that I wanted to do it. I just didn't find that camaraderie there. And it, it could exist in other departments. It just didn't exist where I was. Mm. No, well, I think, uh, I think probably a lot of people would say that. I mean, this is a lot of the talk that we're having now as far as um, changing law enforcement, the culture of law enforcement, defunding the police, or, or more accurately, I would say, you know, shifting a lot of the funds and resources uh, from the police departments into the social services, things that the things that you care about or seem to, what I would assume, care about more. Yes, yes. Um, so, so I would I would assume that you agree with yeah, that. would be correct. Today. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of problems we see today is from that culture that existed before I got in, it existed while I was in, and it's existing to this day. Do you think that that, that culture, uh, you know, this that's what this podcast is about, you know, trying to bridge that divide between the police and the community. Do you think that that culture can be broken or do you think it's, what, what's your thoughts about that? I, I have a dim outlook on whether that culture can be broken, but it can be controlled. Mm. With now, the, what do you mean by that control? If... And we, and we tell the, this to kids all the time with this positive uh, reinforcement that if someone's doing wrong and you speak about it, you've done the right thing. And regardless of the outside pressure that you have, you've done the right thing. And you would bring more people to your side if you did that. And we tell kids that all the time, but that's not really what happens. When when you're trying to do the right thing and you're met up 
with the negativity, the isolation, um, you don't get the same support. And it, and it's, it, it's, it just doesn't, here, here's, when, every time, and here, here's, I can put it simply, every time there's a, a, a police shooting or something, I always say the good apples are really silent and what I, what I mean by that is if you want to bridge that gap between police and communities of color then the good apples need to speak up about these incidents but that rarely happens all, all we hear is that oh 99% of the police are good well you know <clears throat> that's an overstatement <laughs> number one in any industry not just law enforcement in any industry there's 99% of good and in no industry but <clears throat> when you're met with that then being a person of color growing up uh, having incidents with the police you're lying to me and I, I can't you're showing me a lack of compassion and I and I can't trust you from there. Mm. And and just recently, I was driving home from with my son with, from a football game, and we got pulled over for doing forty-seven and forty-five. Then, you know, and I, I had been a cop, so I had knew the routine. And when he told me he pulled me over, and he he was gonna uh, let us go after he checked my license. I looked at my son. And I said remain calm because he's not letting us go i said <laughs> we're going to be searched so you don't pull somebody over doing 47 and 45 and then say oh you know my bad you know you're okay and lo and behold three more cop cars came and we got the car got searched and 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 that's that that's just to say those things exist now, had I not been in the car with my son and, and, and talking him through that, this is what's going to happen next. This is what you need to do. When he, when, he, when he asks for your driver's license, give it to him. If he has any questions, answer the questions with a short response. Keep your eyes looking forward. I said, they're going to tell me to take the keys out the car and throw them on the dashboard. I said, this is what's going to happen. And it happens step by step. And, and <laughs> I mean... This and we, we're really going to go down a rabbit hole here. I mean, what, what can, can you tell us the Are you comfortable telling us the city, the town where, where this happened? At? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine this. I can't imagine that scenario. I mean, most of the time they need reasonable suspicion and or probable cause to, to search a vehicle. When it was done, it was said as a drug interdiction, high drug interdiction stop. Again, my son is still in football uniform. We just came from his football game, right? So they still don't don't have the right to. I mean, they I'm they, they, <laughs> they they searched the car with a dog. They had a dog go around the car. Okay. They didn't get it in the car. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't search the oh. vehicle. In the, but they had a dog, a drug dog, go around the car. I'm not even sure if that's that's legal. <laughs> right? They can't call the can't. They they can't call. Well, listen what 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 you know i don't want to be you know 
there's the theoretical thing that law enforcement can do, and then there's the reality of, of what really happens. And this is these these are the type of stories the that, yeah. that, that 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 break people's hearts, and in, in that people don't understand about what goes on. And I'm, that's a very very disappointing story. It, it certainly doesn't help the community. Um, you know. I, you know what do we do about this kind of stuff when this stuff is going on and persons like yourself who are calm uh rational uh former law enforcement know the rules know, know what's going on and 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 this is still happening i mean that's just really really a terrible a terrible story i'm sorry that your family that you and your son went through that uh, was he traumatized by it and what, what's his thoughts about the police now i'm sure there's there's some trauma to it for him we, we discuss it every now and then um but what I try and reinforce, this is the reality. Don't don't believe what you see on, on TV. Don't believe what you see on the internet about how to police stops. Because first thing I try and tell young people, I have a lot of young people on my social media and one had posted this video of a guy. He wanted to know from the police officer why he pulled him over. And the police officer didn't tell him. And he was posting, they're not allowed to do that. And I had to send him a message and say, they are allowed to do that. They don't have to tell you why they pulled you over. Just like you don't have to answer their questions. You have the right to remain silent. You don't have to, when they when they want to know where you're going and where you've been, you don't have to answer that. Mm-hmm. Now, I tell my son, answer that because you don't want to escalate a situation. Especially if you're not doing nothing wrong, don't escalate the situation. The main objective for any young people watching, especially young black men, go home, get home. Then you deal with the legal aspects of what they did after that. But your main objective is to go home. So do what you need to do to get home. First and foremost, stay out of your feelings. And, and that was the, probably the first thing I said to my son when the, when the three cop cars arrived. I said, stay out of your feelings. I said, we have to get home. This and type of thing is, is so disconcerting because this is the type of thing that 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 increases that divide between not only yes. communities of color, but, but all communities. Really, No one should put me... The, the police are supposed to be our friends <laughs> they're supposed to when we get pulled over you know all of our hearts stop and i've talked to white people as well their heart stops as, as well so it's not just an uh, african-american or hispanic or everyone's heart stops. no one wants to be stopped by the police but but this this type of what it would seem to be uh abuse overstepping a, a bounds and authority is something that that is that should not be tolerated and that's probably the culture that you were talking about and this comes from the top this comes from you know this comes from uh the need to uh, hand out tickets monthly quotas even though there's no supposed to be no quotas on all this type of thing so that type of that that story is really really heartbreaking and i'm sorry that you guys went through that again i i gotta say it again but you know they're not supposed to be able to call drug dogs uh because that would lengthen the time of the stop they're they're supposed to as you know officers are supposed to uh perform only those those deeds and in deeds that are necessary for the initial traffic stop so they stopped you for going 47 let's deal with the ticket they don't have they, they they don't not supposed to pull or get dogs to come over uh, to you to do drug intervention or interventions or, or whatever. So, you know, and of course, all they do when they do that type of thing is taint the young mind, the, the, the mind of a young another young man. 
Um, yep. and that's all that's all that that happened in that scenario and that and that's how i feel my my son has you know seen me go to work every day for 27 years in law enforcement so he has an idea that there aren't people like that you know <clears throat> but at the same time you know he he went away this weekend for his senior trip and it's hard for me because i know what happens because had i not had he not been in the car with me I don't know. Well, I, I think I, I, as a parent, I would hope that he would be able to get through that situation by being composed and not escalating it. Because that's kind of what happens sometimes is that I didn't do anything wrong. 47 and 45, if I'm by myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Did you really seriously pull me over for doing, for, I would have, you know, got my retirement card out on him and said, I'm retired law enforcement. I've been a cop. I did. I would have went through the whole thing with him. But I thought it was important for my son to get that lesson, to 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 show that humbleness, um, to show that rational thinking in a time of stress. I think he needed that lesson. So the silver lining in that is I, I'm I'm more comfortable with him on vacation driving around without me. Not that I'm fully comfortable, but I'm more comfortable because I think he got that lesson. Again, I gotta say, man, this is not something. This is not the world that we want to live in, where uh, we're we're worried about you know, all the things that we can worry about: car accidents. We can worry about, you know, your kids getting robbed. Law enforcement, the police, the people that are supposed to protect us should be the least of those worries. And that's that's sad that it's just not the case. It's sad that it's yeah. just not the case. So let's get into why, why we wanted to have this this uh, this, this show. So you, you retired from law enforcement and now you started up an organization or or tell us about what, what you're doing now as far as just breaking the school to prison pipeline. Yeah, well, I got introduced to it while I was working in correct, corrections and in, in that I saw a lot of a lot of men come in to the prison system and I was working as an adjunct faculty member as well at a college. And I looked at these guys that were coming into my office out of the prison. I was like, you guys are just as smart as these guys I have in college. You guys are just as gifted. And I wanted to figure out what happened. And what I started to find out was that there was a lot of undiagnosed mental health issues. There's a lot of undiagnosed uh, learning disabilities that these guys had that was never diagnosed. And they're coming to prison and finding out that they had these diagnoses way too late. While the ones in colleges, if they had any issues, they were early interventions. And in 2017, around April, I got a call from a, from a guy's mom and she told me his name. And usually when I get these calls, it's, it's about somebody that's incarcerated and their mom's upset about something or he told her something. But but the mom told me his name and I said, why are you calling? Uh He's been gone for like three years. And she said, Mr. Webb, he's been gone five years. He's been out for five years. For the first time since he was 12 years old, he hasn't stepped foot in in a in the criminal justice system in five years. And she said, I just called to thank you. And I was like, wow, I, I really appreciate it. I always got those kind of calls, but I never got a call quite like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, Mr. Webb, you know what? I wish you would spend time and i know you get paid good money you have to be but i wish you would use that energy to because if you help my son you can help anybody to keep young men out of prison 
rather than keeping young men from coming back to prison. And that moment I said, why, why am I not doing that? I spent all these years coaching and being part of youth organizations. Why am I not doing that? And it was about a week later, I walked into the warden's office and said, September 30th of this year, I'm leaving, I'm retiring, and I'm going to do something else. And during that time before I left, I came up with the idea of how to help kids in school get to that graduation point, get the access to higher education or whatever it is, but just to get there because there are so many getting moved from school into the criminal justice system at early ages. And so what can I do to help? And I developed this idea, I called it revolutionary motivation. And I started to first substitute in in schools just to see how schools operated. And the first long term subposition, you'll never guess where they put me. Yeah. Alternative school. Oh well, I mean I'm sure. <laughs> alternative school probably with the idea of good intentions probably with the idea of to bring this discipline to bring this but that's not what I was on I was on a deeper level of relationships to figure out not what's wrong with you but what happened to you mm. and let's work from there so when I was in the classroom they were like well they're doing Romeo and Juliet I know these kids don't care about Romeo and Juliet let, let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about your relationships. And I had to have a level of transparency for them to trust me. So I, I, I you know, had discussions and, and talked about myself for a little while, and it opened the door um, to relationships. And some of those kids, when I started, are now graduating, which makes me very proud. There's, I attended a couple of their graduations, which which makes me very proud that. I hope to have that that impact uh, on other kids, but that's how it started for me to get involved in the school to prison pipeline. Um, <clears throat> and so I started, you know, offering just to come speak at school assemblies and and other things. And I wanted to my my ideal was to have a, a three layer. Um, path for it because it's not just I can't help the students without doing something with the teachers and doing something with the administration so I wanted to, to have a three-layered approach where this is what administrators need to know this is what teachers need to know and this is what students need to know so there's a collective team involved into this vision so let's there's a lot to, to, to really kind of unpack there so let's let's start off with um defining what, what school to prison pipeline is for anyone who doesn't know what, what is that it's a process in which students are removed from school usually through zero tolerance policies or school resource offices increased um presence of law enforcement in our schools and they're pushed out of school and introduced to the criminal justice system which you know, as you know, once you're in, it's it's very hard to, to remove yourself from. Uh, so you talk, you talked about the well, you brought up Romeo and Juliet as you as you as you're in that. Uh, 
you're, you're sent to an alternative school and they're studying Romeo and Juliet. I had a, a doctor on, um, uh, Kelly Hope. We, we, we talked about uh, just a little bit about curriculum. And I want to talk to you about curriculum. Do you think that, particularly in an alternative school that you were sent to, do you think that the curriculum is part of the problem? That these kids are not, are not entertained they're not educated they they can't identify with Romeo and Juliet they can't identify with with uh these these people uh and these stories that that don't look like them and they can't relate to do you think that that's part of the problem absolutely now it could be in there but when everything in the curriculum doesn't look like me I have to see myself in the classroom I have to see myself as far as part of it. And when I don't see myself as part of it, then how can I be uh, involved with it? Because it's automatically telling me it's not about you. You know, this is something that doesn't relate to you. Traditional education, you know, has never worked really for students of color or students that have a level of trauma. It, it really hasn't. We went from black people can't get educated you know, it's illegal to have a slave to, to read, to, we'll have schools, they'll be separate but equal, to, we'll integrate, which will automatically make them equal, and we've been separate and unequal ever since. We, we haven't achieved that, that level because kids aren't seeing themselves in the curriculum. They're not seeing themselves in the classroom. And they're definitely not seeing themselves as far as the teachers go because it's a profession that's that's dominated you know more than 80 percent by white women and the administration is more than 80 percent white men so they're not seeing they're not even seeing themselves in the people that are providing the curriculum uh does any of your work deal with those particular aspects i mean you can't really blame the the people who are applying or maybe you can the people who are getting the jobs are, are we trying to get more recruiting of more african-american hispanic people of color to be in these different positions absolutely but that's where representation matters that's why it's important for me to go into the classrooms for for them to see me and to see other other black men in the classrooms to see other black men teaching so this this could be an avenue for me to to get to the goals that i want in my in my life um so it's important for me to be there and it's important for me to encourage you know even on college campuses to encourage that education platform because it's it's done a lot for me uh being an adjunct has you know opened up lots of doors for me as, as far as even my business now with revolutionary motivation it, it be having that professor moniker you know just makes me more attractive makes me more marketable to a larger population that wouldn't probably hear my message um so are you pushing for no no sros in schools or 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 what a reforming of what they do or what's your ideas about that my ideas is now there, there are sros that do great work but here's the problem i give maryland as an example every county in maryland except one the sros are played paid by the sheriff's office that's a problem because the principal is the administrator of the building 
But what's happening is they're conceding their power to the SROs where things that were once a trip to the principal's office are now becoming legal cases. There are six-year-olds who are getting assault and battery charges you know, from school for hitting another because there was blood involved. Or, you know, these zero, and that's a part of zero tolerance policies is that if there's blood, they automatically get kicked out. Well, <clears throat> how many six-year-olds know how to box, really? They <laughs> know how to draw blood, you know, if they had to. It, it was just a lucky punch. And law enforcement, really, we really don't care why. You broke rule, that's it. You know, that's it. But when you're dealing with children whose mature part of the brain hasn't developed yet and understanding, you know, of how things work or, or just that impulse control, now we're putting cases on them as if they're adults when, when they're in, sometimes in elementary schools. And that part of the brain isn't fully developed. <clears throat> so as a whole, if... If SROs first need to be trained in, in child brain development, they have to have some training with working with kids. But that doesn't happen. They're, they're just getting assigned. It's, it would be like, like in corrections if the sheriff's office came into the prison and said, oh, no, warden, he hit somebody. <laughs> We're going to arrest him and take him and charge him outside, regardless of what you say. That's what's happening in schools. The warden would never let that happen. But we have principals that are allowing this to happen. We have teachers who aren't managing, they're managing their classrooms with SROs. So <clears throat> children are, are, are being placed in a, in a difficult situation from the beginning. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the, well, let, first let's talk about the, the different traumas. Now you mentioned that you saw, um, you talked about what, not what they're going through, but what happened to them, right? So what happened to them, th these different kids that you saw in, in the alternative schools, I, I would agree with you that they're all going through trauma. When, you know, some of my own stories, when I was when I was working, um, in particular, I worked midnight shift for a, for a long time, and I would, you know, often, you know, see, see obviously, the prostitutes walking around, and I would, you know, kind of talk to them, like, like how in the world did you get into this, right? And it was always something somewhere along the, along the lines where they got introduced to it, or the boyfriend, or maybe they just had a bad childhood and all that. So it's the same thing. We're all, you know, people are just dealing with trauma in so many different ways. So we have these kids, as you mentioned, who are dealing with uh, uh, undeveloped um, or, or not fully developed brains. Uh, their impulse control is not in control uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so they're, they're dealing with that. So, so just talk a little bit more about the traumas that you saw with these kids who are dealing or going through these alternative schools. I'll give you a, a perfect example. I recently visit, visited a elementary school that I was a substitute at. And the guidance counselor was telling me about this young man who had some difficulties, um, family difficulties and, and all these, you know, just a lot of trauma in his life and his family. And he came, he got in trouble for having a hood on his head, which I can go a long time on that too. You know, wanted to know what was going on, have his hood on his head. He took his hood off and this was a kid who had flowing curls of hair, was all of a sudden bald. And she was like, you know, hey buddy, you cut all your hair off. And he said, yeah, they were making fun of me on the bus. 
He said, why'd you cut all your hair off? He said, my brother got in trouble and my mom cut off all his hair and I didn't want him to be by himself. So I cut all my hair off too. Wow. Wow. He got made fun of on the bus. So he puts his hood on, walks into the classroom. Now he's in trouble with the teacher. We have to ask why sometimes. I mean, I mean, all the time, especially dealing with kids. We have to ask that question. The guidance counselor did. And he would have rather kept the hood on and got in trouble than to get made fun of. But if we take things, if we get out of our own head and what we think a good student should look like, and what we think our own biases, then something magical could happen. Something magical could have happened in that classroom where what happened to you? You know, why are you wearing a hood today and you don't wear it any other day? But no, it was automatically, the impulse is if you're wearing a hood, you're being disrespectful and the instinct is to punish. Instead of asking the question what happened to you he would have told her my brother my mom cut my brother's hair off all his head hair off his head so i wanted i didn't want him to be alone so i shaved all my head off now we're having a different conversation mm-hmm. and that just doesn't happen as often as it as it should we should always ask ourselves why you may learn something you didn't know. That teacher had the opportunity to learn something she didn't know. And she didn't take it. She went to, to the instinct of punishment. And that's what happens. Is that if it doesn't fit in what we think it should be. We're not looking at something from another person's perspective. Like if I slide my chair this way. It could be looking like that I put up my middle finger, but actually, I have three fingers up. So when we change our perspective, a shift happens. And that shift isn't happening enough. We're not building relationships with students. We're we're going through the, you know, grades and, and curriculum. And the kids have to come before the curriculum. I I certainly agree with that, and I want to tell a story. Like I said, I, before, where we were talking before, I had uh, Representative Johanna Hayes. We were talking about the same subject uh, the prison pipeline, and she told a story that that's very similar to the one you just told. I can't remember the all the full details of it, but there was a student that she had who. Uh, who um, was not in dress code. Now here in, in this public school system, we have a dress code. They have to be you know, wearing certain outfits. The kid didn't have, wasn't in dress code. I, I, I believe I'm saying this right. People can, people can go back and listen to the, to the episode. And I, I hope that people will go back and listen to the episode. So, um, and so when they were, the kid didn't, wasn't in dress code. Uh, so he ended up getting in trouble. And I think, believe he had detention. I, I'm pretty sure he had detention. So he had to stay after school in order to make up for this dress code. So 
he never stayed for detention. So then he, when she sees him the next day, she's like, what's up with this? You know, you had to stay for detention. You know, make sure you stay today and, and, and we'll deal with this. Again, he didn't stay. So then she looks up his address. Now she takes the time out to look up the address and f- realizes that the kid was living in, in a, um, in a shelter. So he couldn't stay for detention because he would have missed the time to be in the shelter. And of course, if he's in the shelter, then he can't have access to maybe clean clothes or be able to wash his clothes or whatever. So these different backstories and trauma and, and life stories were could have affected his education. Now she took the time out of her schedule to to look at to, to ask that question why. Even though she didn't really ask him, but she looked looked into his file and figured out, you know, what was going on. And so it takes that type of empathetic teacher who's not just looking to discipline or burnt out or whatever, persons such as yourself or teachers like that, um, to, to really do the extra to do the extra work. Uh, to do the hard work of asking why instead of you know punishing it and trying to get this kid suspended in in in, in further punishment she just asked the question why and did something about it you know so. and 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 i know teachers want to their students to participate in their education and they they sometimes have limited tools but what happens is when you kick a kid out of the classroom let's say for cussing now every kid in that classroom knows what your limit is so when i don't feel like participating i know in in mr webb's class all i have to do is cuss and he's going to kick me out or you get sent to the office and that just takes your power away because now you're giving that power to that administrator where the kid knows you don't have any power to do anything to me that's why you send him to the administrator or that kid's ISS, and, and I would challenge school districts to look at their ISS practices because What's most in school suspension, okay, most have no instructional component to them. It's just a place they they put them there for a couple days and then send them back to the classroom. But what happens is now that I'm out of the classroom, I fell behind in my work which leads to poor performance now have a poor leads to poor outcomes now i'm not passing classes eventually that's continues so i won't graduate so i'm built i'm funneled right into the into the criminal justice system and the, and that's exactly garden variety how it happens so now even if you you're not in the criminal justice system right away you're leaving school with a limited education not a whole lot of prospects and and what else is there especially when you have people on the outside in, in some communities that are waiting to take advantage of situations like that do you as far as that goes do you look at um in your work have you analyzed like uh when when prisons look at the dropout rates to figure out how to how many beds they need to build you ever, you ever take a look at that that stuff yeah that <clears throat> i've looked at it and there's really no evidence to it but what i can tell you is that when that process starts like in florida just recently just this year they a, a school was sending the names of students getting disciplined to the sheriff's office 
<laughs> this is a middle school sending names of children that were getting in trouble to the sheriff's office. So when people say, you know, I say to school, the prison pipeline, they say, you know, that's a nice analogy. No, it's not an analogy. It is a real thing. Uh, and, and, and I've heard the, the, you know, third grade reading levels. There isn't any information that you can put your hand on that that's happening. But if we look at things that are going on in our school system, we can understand that there's a reason behind the crime that it's that the 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 funneling starts at an early age now whether they use that to to build populations you know build prisons i haven't found any factual information to that yet but if you look at the statistics it tells a story uh, Ray Rose is saying, um, in my opinion, if you push the SRO out of the schools, it only affect minority communities. Training for officers is key, but but funding plays a role for cities or towns. And for alternative schools, uh, sorry, and for alternative schools, I think they need to change core curriculum and engage what each student are placed in alternative schools. Why there starts, uh, why they there starts from home. Uh, so pushing SROs out of the schools. We talked about that a little bit. Do you think mm -hmm. that, that would only affect minority communities? I mean, I, I think it affects everybody. It's the, the the data says that minority students feel more stress when there's an SRO in the school. That there's more anxiety for minority students than there are for for white students. I their presence. And it all goes to a lot has to do with implicit biases and how they handle discipline. And that's the important thing is classroom behaviors and expectations that should be done by the principal. The, the SRO shouldn't should not be handing out discipline. It should not be arresting students They the principal should be in charge of that. This is when that if we have an SRO that the SRO needs to get involved. The SRO is not there for your classroom management. The SRO isn't there to arrest students. Now that if you look at extreme situations, um, you know, where there's maybe a gun involved or, or something like that, where a, you that you might have to introduce law enforcement into the school. But in Maryland, that's that's happened less than one percent of the time. SROs are being called for just fights. Right, right, right. In your estimation, what 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 is the role of the uh, of what should they do? It's two students are fighting. In your estimation, uh, it, they sh uh, an SRO should not even be called. Is that correct? Uh, even That's even correct. if they're in the school, they should not be assigned, called to the office to deal with this type. That's of correct. Just like I said with the teacher, when you when you send that child to the administrator you lose your power that administrator loses his power when he calls that sorrow that's your building I, I i emphasize that to principals all the time just like a, a warden would a warden always says this is my prison a principal should be this is my building you need to know my educational philosophy you need to know how we do things teachers need to know this is when you can call sro this is when you can't whether it's you call me first 
or this is the situation. And I don't even like, as far as there was an incident in Pittsburgh where a, a little girl, uh, third grader, had brought a knife to school and they wanted to suspend her. The principal stepped in, they wanted to arrest her. The principal stepped in and it was a simple, why'd you bring a knife to school? And she said, I live in a tough neighborhood. My friend got robbed. I just wanted to protect myself. I didn't bring the knife to hurt anybody at school. I just want to get home. That principal got her on the bus, made sure she had a way to get to the bus so she can get to school, so she didn't have to bring a knife to feel safe. Ask the question. A lot of problems could be solved. When, when we bring, when six, six-year-olds, first graders are getting arrested, there is something wrong with the system. In preparation for this, I was reading a, a little bit and you talked about some other, some alternatives. I want to talk about some alternatives yeah. to what we're talking about. Uh, restorative justice, um, and you know, as you mentioned, just asking the question, what other alternatives are you proposing for, for different school administrations? And I don't like to use the term defund the police. I would much move the funds. Like there, there, there are schools with SROs and, and no guidance counselors. There are schools with SROs and no nurses. That shouldn't happen. The funding should be placed in areas where it can actually do some good into counseling, into social workers. There, there are students going to school whose water has been turned off. I had a, a, a high schooler, you know, stop coming to school, and I was like, "Why did you stop coming to school?" Well, our water got turned off, and you know. I haven't had a bath in three days. She had no idea of the connection to social services, that the school should be providing those things, but the school wasn't providing that thing. So she felt like she couldn't go to school. But if she had a resource at the school to say, hey, this social services, this happens. This is what you can do to get your water turned back on. But that's not happening. So if those funds were placed in social services, if schools have an SRO, if they do, and <clears throat> again, I think you froze up a little bit there. Or is it me? Am I still here? Uh, is that it's, me or is it not law enforcement are not trained in pedagogy law enforcement not trained and you know so if they are employed by the school and if they are under the principle then you change the dynamic but that doesn't happen often enough like I said stories to go with what's what's actually happening in, in the majority of schools, especially the majority of schools where the students are of color. Uh, you're kind of, unfortunately, you're kind of breaking up there a little bit. Uh, I just got one more question here. Uh, so what, um, 
what what kind of pushback do you get? I mean, some people will, will, are very hard nosed and just saying, "Listen, you, these kids are breaking the rules. They deserve to be arrested. They deserve, to, you know, wh whatever they they get what they deserve." Essentially, what do you say to those types of people who want the cops in the schools and to do more than just be trained in pedagogy? They want them there for disciplinary purposes. What do you say to those types of people? If our if our first instinct is to punish children. We've missed the boat. We've missed the boat totally on education. For administrators, I emphasize the data. What's our classroom behavior and expectations look like? Which students are having some limitations, which do not? Um, how are we determining who gets suspended? What do they look like? Does it happen before lunch or after lunch? Who's getting sent to the office? It's important for administrators to have that data. Um, restorative practices has it's evidence based it's evidence based most of the evidence for SRO show that it's negative then the the data for restorative practices where tier one would be something at like preventive tier two where students would work together and tier three you would have a trained facilitator which could be used you know if you had the funding available to you if you didn't have that sro you would have train a trained facilitator and and restorative practices it's evidence-based the evidence don't doesn't support sros and, and that's what i can tell you can google that the evidence does not support sros the no, evidence no. Su supports restorative practices Res evidence supports having counselors Res evidence supports having social work in the schools some school systems are are, are 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 run by more black uh, officials uh, and they, those suspensions are still just as high as the white suspensions of black males etc are, are just as high how do you account for that is i mean are they suffering from racism or implicit bias as well or what's up with that yeah yeah i i think they're looking at it from a deficit approach or perspective they're not looking at where these kids are gifted, where these kids, just like a, a, a little girl that may talk a lot in school, they, they look at it as you're being disruptive. Why not look at it as this is something that she's good at? You know, and I love the old, old Steve Harvey story where he has his teacher and for career day, he says he wants to be on TV. And the teacher says, you should do something more realistic. And when he became famous and was on TV everywhere, he sent that teacher the biggest screen TV he could find. If that at our students with not from a deficit approach, from a gifted approach, then I think things change. But we have to confront our own implicit biases. We have to stop and, and, and take a look at just because I think that you know this is the way it should be that maybe i should start looking at it from another perspective we're not teaching our, our students or our children that all feelings are okay now all behaviors aren't okay but all feelings are okay but we we do a bad job of helping them develop the the, the skills necessary to deal with all feelings Again, we're, we're, we're quick to punish, we're, we're quick to, 
you know, to have this classroom where everybody has a pencil in front of them, a paper on their desk, and their hands folded, and they're waiting for the teacher, you know, to give instruction. But that's what schools look like in 1919. You know, it's 2021, and, and we really haven't changed all that much in 100 years. It, <clears throat> we're, we're too focused on the old approach and, and we're not we're not keeping up just like you know this these hybrid classrooms and people are fighting against it this is the world we're living in the the the, the factory jobs don't exist anymore people are, are, are online people are doing things online um we have to get with especially with social and emotional things we have to start looking at it from a different perspective and i think we're still looking at it as disruption we're, we're not we're we're not looking at at growth we're still looking at grades we're not you know we're not looking at uh the kids we're focused on the curriculum so we have to change our approach tell us about your we'll, we'll end off here tell us about your camps program that you're starting uh down there in maryland uh it's youth champs i i uh wrote a book called youth champs uh, striving through your teen years and I wanted to turn it into a curriculum and I was able to do that where we were recruiting 40 students from a local high school to participate in a program and the champs stand for choices, habits, attitudes, mindset, and purpose. And under those, that, those five concepts, uh, I developed a curriculum and we're starting at a local high school with with some identified kids uh, that are currently in school, ninth graders, and they participate in the curriculum. And I'm going to track them as far as attendance, behavior, and their coursework, so they can put themselves in better position for higher education, or trade school, or uh, whatever they they really wanted to do in their life to to just have them know what their gifts are through that through that thought those five concepts and <clears throat> what i hope to do is provide for the students that complete the curriculum by their senior years to provide scholarships for them uh when they're done it all started from just the idea of my my youth champs book and the curriculum was was kind of tough because i had to get in touch with my own implicit biases and, and, and things that you know I had to confront within myself in order to do it and I'm looking forward to starting it starts this this year school year 21-22 school year so I'm really looking forward to that and hopefully have the, the, the outcomes that I had while I was in corrections very good very good thank you so much for coming on the show i really really appreciate it if somebody wants to get in co contact with you can you give us your email your website what else however we can get in contact with you yep uh it's revolutionary w-e-b-b-o-l-u-t-i-o-n-a-r-y at gmail.com it's in the school the prison pipeline on my facebook group i'm on linkedin leonard cello web and any other social media uh you can just put at Webolutionary. You can find me. My website is in the school to prison pipeline.com. The two is the number two, um, like on the shirt. 
and that's that's how they can get in contact I have a newsletter that goes out monthly if you want to subscribe to the newsletter about <clears throat> uh, just send an email to info at revolutionarymotivation.com and in the subject line put subscribe and I'll subscribe you to my newsletter I talk about equity and, and school to prison pipeline and current things that are happening in the world to, to make schools better very good Once again, thank you so much for coming on the show really really appreciate it giving us that information I hope that uh, some teachers and administrations are, are listening or will listen uh, even uh, police administrators as well because um, if they're sending their SROs to school to these schools without the proper training without understanding uh, the environment that the kids are coming from and then going to and the reasons for it and if they could just ask the question why uh, maybe we can get somewhere and stop all these suspensions you know and i think that i think that sometimes it's been such a pendulum of swinging we went from too many arrests and to no arrests right because we had too many arrests in schools now there's now there's no arrest or suspensions too many suspensions to 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 not enough suspensions now the kids are running the halls and swearing at teachers and using the n-word and all and now it's just a complete zoo so we got we got to find that sweet spot in the middle you know so, yeah and that's going to take the cooperation from everyone from the administration from the teachers and from the parents as well so yeah um so thanks for coming on i really really appreciate it um thank and, you uh, we will see you guys uh, i'm taking the rest of the summer off so no more shows uh for a while uh for captain hunter's podcast um i'll see you guys probably in september i will be posting in here and there from time to time but uh but that's it for the summer so brother needs a break <laughs> so all right guys take care much love and peace we'll see you guys thank you police reform is more than just a trending topic my name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today.